Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we get rebirthed, prepare for the apocalypse, meet an outcast, have a slow news day, and more. Alright, fine, I'll talk first. You always do. Well, I guess that's true. Why break tradition? Yeah. And uh, and usually what I say is, welcome everybody, welcome dear listeners. To the uh, Heck Yeah! To the Heck Comics Yeah! Podcast. Comics Podcast, I'm David. Heck Yeah! Heck Yeah! The Heck Yeah Manly Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are manly men. I'm David. And I'm Nick. That's Nick. And, that's uh, David. Yes, and you are the listener. And we're all just one big happy family. Of comic lovers. Of comic connoisseurs. Yeah, comic lovers make it sound like we all love comics. Nope, I don't know where I'm going with that. No, Nick, we know know what you're saying. This is a safe space where you can apparently bash yourself into your desk. Yes, it's not like my... It's got like... uh, the space, like where the seat is, if I was typing, looking straight on, is fine. But I, I have a monitor there, and I can't seem to find my cord that hooks my computer together. So, like, I'm kind of sitting angled uh-huh. in an empty space. And no one gives a shit about this. Nope. But they do give a shit about comics. So, unless you've got a little anecdote you want to share, let's jump right into it. I mean, usually we just sit here and we're just, you know, we're just shooting the shit. Just, uh, talkity talking. True, true. Anything ah, interesting now, happen in your life? Ah, see, now I just feel like we're... like we're. Well, here, I'm going to share this little anecdote, because your headphones reminded me of this. Uh, Nick's got big over-the-ear headphones. Mm-hmm. So I'm out earlier, and I'm walking uh, to Panga, as I do most days, slash every day. And, uh, and as, we're, as we're walking down the road, I see uh, my friend Nader, who I do improv with, is coming the opposite direction. I'm like, cool, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stop and we'll have a brief little conversation. And uh, I'm, I'm talking on the phone, so I, as, as Nader gets closer, I take the phone down, like very obviously signaling, hey, I'm here to have a conversation with you and connect on a human level. And Nader looks down, goes, hi, Topanga, and then keeps walking right <laughs> past me. <laughs> he acknowledges your dog? Yes. <laughs> Did you text him later? No, I actually saw him later. And, uh, and Were you like, what the hell? Yeah, I was like, friendship over, and then I threw a glass of water in his face and stormed out of there. And what really happened? Uh, I was just like, oh, hey, man, I like, what the hell? Why didn't you say hi to me? And what did he say? Uh, and he said that he saw that I was on the phone, and then he had his headphones on, so he thought like we weren't going to have an interaction. Uh, <laughs> uh, excuses, he hates you. Probably. I've come to accept that. I wish that well, you would hate me. Why? I mean, I know you've been trying really hard, but I just have such a generous and loving heart. That's not true at all. I can't. I cannot tell a lie, nor can I hate. 
that's are you like a robot programmed to do neither of those things uh yeah what was it when we were when i was leaving work one of my coworkers made some kind of comment about how like um never mind story over it's ruined i can't remember the exact details it had something wow. to do with robots and whether or not i was a robot oh no he said oh you must not be a robot and then I said very mechanically, that's what you think. And it's, why does the things in my head sound better than when I'm speaking them out loud? <laughs> well, I you can't have to finish the story. interesting you, as the podcast in my head. You have to finish the story. You've committed so much. That, that was the story. And then that, I found 20 That bucks. was the story? That had something to do with robots. It oh. was relevant. Oof. Not all narratives have to be long and verbose and... No. winding and complicated but they should at least be good uh we all know that that is not true narratives do not have to be good they should be good they should be good we don't live in a world of shoulds in a world where stories are good all the time no one complains or analyzes anything we all sit in mass enjoyment Films, of our media. Films like Warcraft don't exist. <laughs> oh, burn. For those burn. that don't know, the upcoming Warcraft film, an adaptation of the hit video game series, is apparently not good, which, despite having never played any of the Warcraft games, mm -hmm. is still sad to hear, yeah. just because, you know, I guess I mentioned to you before the show, I like the director a lot. Uh, Duncan Jones, also known as the son of David Bowie. David Bowie. Um, and that's just unfortunate. That it, it is, from the trailers, like, it's a lot of cool action shots, but I wasn't getting the vibe that it was going to be structured well. Yeah, the, here's here's the issue that I took with, with the trailer is, and, and from what I've seen in the movie so far, is that it already feels alienating to a new fan base where there's so much of this that I'm watching where I'm like, I feel like I should recognize all of this, uh, that this does not feel like a clean jump on point. Like they're showing these characters, like it's supposed to mean something for me to be seeing these people right now. And that might not be true. That may just be how the trailer, uh, like seems. Maybe you're but, projecting. I mean, we're entrenched in like superhero culture. So we had know the ins and outs of so many characters. And when we see, like Marvel trailers, we might be seeing all this stuff going on, and because we're so inundated with it, like it's second nature to us, we're not really questioning it. But for something like Warcraft, which of course also has its own fan base, you know, I'm sure the trailer was on some level pandering to them. Yeah. Yeah, but I also, I don't know, to, to bring a, another example into this, you have the Assassin's Creed trailer that came out recently, uh, and that video game has its own set of insane mythology. Um, but I feel like I've talked to more people who have seen that and been like, yeah, that just looks really cool. Like, it looks really awesome. Uh, and like, who maybe don't know the video game. I and mean, maybe, you know, the video games are popular, so maybe everyone I'm talking to has uh, played it. I doubt it. But it's people do you talk to, David? On a daily basis? Uh... Yourself? There's like myself. Uh, and Your I talk, dog? My dog. I, I talk to a fox that I see occasionally on the side of the road. What does Topanga think of Warcraft? Uh, Topanga has absolutely no desire to see it 
because um, there's a lot of like colors she can't see. So, I mean, does she watch a lot of black and white movies? What okay, dogs movies dogs do see color. Why did you just say it was too many colors? Oh, because they have limited color spectrum. Yeah. Whoa! What is going on? There's a giant. There we go. There's a giant increase of white noise. I don't know if anybody could hear that. I heard it. Holy crap, like it just got so much better. Uh, we're good. Great. I was trying to figure out what was going on wrong before the show, and I figured it out. Uh, to celebrate... To the Batmobile. Let's go. Let's talk about some comics. Do we want to start off with the big one? I think that's going to that's gonna go into a big discussion, so let's do the individual stuff that we've read. Uh, so why don't you tell me about Nighthawk number one? Ah, throwing me under the bus first, huh? Mm-hmm. Nighthawk, number one, written by David F. Walker and illustrated by Ramon Villalobos, including colors from Tamra Bond Villain. I think I texted you this where I was like, oh, yeah, the colors, his na- last name is Bond Villain, a.k.a. Bond Villain. And it's still funny today. Anyway, <laughs> here's the skinny on the Nighthawk. Nighthawk actually originated as um like i it may have been marvel's first attempt not like first attempt like okay yeah first attempt at um uh, doing doing like a marvelized which sounds like caramelized a marvelized Mm, justice league (laughs) marvelized onions Uh, (laughs) Uh, we're we're gonna change out these onions every uh every few minutes Every every uh, twelve to eighteen minutes. Yeah, I was gonna say like every eight months, but that I mean, you should change out onions at least before then. <laughs> anyway, uh, before they get marvelized. Hey. Um. Um. Anyway. Uh. So way back when Marvel created the the I actually think they debuted as the Squadron Sinister. So they were these evil characters that were based off the Justice League, Nighthawk being Batman. Um, also known as his real name is Kyle Richmond, and they were just jerks, like jerky jerk jerks. Um, and then sometime after that, I believe it was Mark Grunwald, who's also known for a uh, very popular Captain America run, created the Squadron Supreme. Squadron basically, Supreme. basically reframing these characters on their own world, where they weren't necess- they weren't bad guys. But I guess the and I it's on my like to read list. I have it on Marvel Unlimited. But basically, it's one of those kind of like in the Watchmen sense. I feel like it gets overshadowed a lot. But it was basically about these heroes that you know they're incredibly powerful and they think, well, like what's the natural conclusion of us using these powers and being superheroes and crime fighters and policemen, so to speak? And it kind of leads to more or less the totalitarian government that I believe Nighthawk tries to bring down. So almost kind of similar to like the Injustice arc with DC Mm -hmm. uh, is probably heavily inspired by that. Um, So I think the spirit of Squadron Supreme are that these are characters kind of like the authority was probably a spiritual successor of Squadron Supreme. They're characters that kind of explore the natural progression of both their, their, their duty, their, their mission statement um, and allows you to kind of do interesting things with them. And I think the fact that they started as, the Squadron Sinister means that like these aren't necessarily black and white characters. They're morally gray. They kind of straddle that line between good and, you know, the means fit the ends or whatever the saying is. 
Anyway, fast forward. J. Michael Straczynski, one of my favorite comic writers, um, launched Supreme Power, which was an alt version, kind of like the ultimate version of the Squadron Supreme. And that included Nighthawk, who traditionally had been a white character, but he was reframed as a um, a young black man who, like Batman, watched his parents uh, be murdered by a white supremacist. So one of the angles with this Nighthawk was that he actually, like, hates white people, hmm. you know, um, and and basically is like a Black Panther, not Marvel character-esque, you know, crime fighter, but focuses on, like, white supremacy and breaking down, you know, race and class barriers kind of thing. So very, very, I mean, you think Batman's, like, brooding? Like, this guy owns brooding and dark. I mean, the and kind of getting to the actual Nighthawk number one here, a big part of the issue is about how, like, I mean... In a way, like when Batman lost his parents, he was angry, he was upset, but sort of as he sort of molded into Batman, it, like there's definitely a vengeance angle to Batman, but he's considered more of like a like a justice crusader. Like there's a justice. There's there's almost like an underlying hope with Batman, you know, and I think that's the way that he's developed. You know, the fact that he has so many offshoot characters and, well, yeah, and... I, like Snyder's, you know, final touch on Batman was basically that he was a symbol of hope. Nighthawk is just like, if you freaking suck, <laughs> I'm going to like, I'm not going to save you. Like, I'll probably kill you. Um, it gets even more complicated. Uh, I'm trying to break down the barriers of entry here, which is like my phrase of the day. I probably used it like ten times today. Um, so this Nighthawk is the Nighthawk from J. Michael Straczynski's Supreme Power. As a part of the whole Secret Wars thing, that that so the Supreme Power Earth got destroyed, and he is the sole survivor of that Earth. And after the end of Secret Wars, him, the Hyperion that had been on uh, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers teams, um, a few other characters that were Supreme Power, uh, Supreme Squadron Supreme esque basically are the lone survivors of their worlds have come together to be the squadron supreme of the Marvel 616 or the Marvel universe, whatever you want to call, excuse me, these days. And so he's now assumed because there is still, there, there is like an actual, like a, a heroic Kyle Richmond on this earth. Uh, he's assumed the name Raymond Kane uh, took over some business called Oracle Inc. And is using his resources to basically, He's basically if Batman was the Punisher, if that makes sense. Like Batman's a very specific character, mm-hmm. you know. Or I should say, Punisher's very specific. He's he's that force of nature type. Like he doesn't necessarily have a lot of personality. And that's kind of what makes him charm, not like a, not like compelling in a way. Mm-hmm. Just the way that he just kind of like he can be the silent stalker type. And I don't really know what I'm trying to describe. So, but it's just like like he's just gonna kill you because not even like like there's a hate, but there's like he just. Like if you do if you do something reprehensible, all you deserve is death. And Nighthawk's mind, like he probably doesn't disagree with that, but he's looking at things systemically. Whereas Punisher probably just goes around and he's not, he's trying to stabilize things, but mostly by kind of walking and blowing up the foundations. Nighthawk's trying to cover it from every angle, and he's got that Batman sort of philosophical intellect to him. Mm-hmm. Anyway. The book tackles all these things. So uh, Kyle Richmond, now known as Raymond Kane, has set up shop in Chicago, which in the real world is a kind of a hotbed of 
class warfare and racial uh, tensions and all this stuff. So he's kind of right where he, he needs to be. A big part of the book is about like these big conglomerates that are trying to tear down low income housing to put up, you know, whatever. There's a serial killer on the loose that might also be targeting um, um, racists, I guess is the best way to describe them. And the book just goes from there. I honestly liked it. I, David F. Walker is the guy that DC hired to do Cyborg for the DCU launch. And I think you remember on this show, like I read it, I just like, it was cold. Like there was just something boring and cliche and just, I found just not very inspiring about that Cyborg book. And I, and I like Cyborg. Um, so I, at being my first impression of David F. Walker, I immediately wasn't really taken by his writing style, but then but I also, when I read his interviews, I find him to be kind of interesting to to read as, like, he pontificates, like, why he's doing what he's doing. Um, so that kind of prompted me to check out Power Man and Iron Fist for Marvel, which he's writing. And I thought, I've only read the first issue so far, but I thought that was actually surprisingly good. So that brings me to Nighthawk, where I decided to give him another chance. And again, Cyborg must have been a fluke. I just find, like, he's firing on all cylinders with this book. The writing's pretty good. The characters feel distinct. Um, the right, you know, the, the writing's clever, some snappy one-liners like, so Nighthawk's whole thing is like, he's not the kind of guy that's going to be jumping around and making quips or anything. And he has a support person that's kind of like, Oh, you know, you know, you should, you know, say some one-liners, like say something. And then he just says something as he's like cracking skulls and breaking people up. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. The book is, uh, pretty violent. The art by Ramon Villalobos is, um, you, you would know him. He's on, um, um, the name is familiar. He did the art for the new X-Men, the secret wars, new X-Men miniseries, the E for extinction one. Oh yeah. So he's, he gets kind of described as Frank quietly esque in the sense that like both of their character, most of their uh, people work seem kind of rumpled. If that's a, <laughs> the right way to describe uh, people. Um, but I think for this book, it works like the storytelling is clear. Um, you know, his characters are solid. Uh, I mean, it's definitely an acquired taste. I think that not everyone is going to like it, but in, from my opinion, like the craftsmanship is there. Um, so I think it's a good book and then the colors are, are good too, but I am far and away unable to describe like colors in any kind of meaningful way. So I'm not going to even try, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's when it's good, you know, when it's bad, but I just can't figure out how to describe. Um, so yeah, basically he's fighting these different battles. You know, it's not even so much that he's like trying to help the poor. He's just trying to weed out systemic racism. And I think kind of like a character, like say daredevil who like always centers on hell's kitchen. Like, some characters, it's cool, like, you know, not every book has to deal with systemic racism. Like, some people be like, oh, it's stupid when so-and-so is, like, dealing with these world things. I want my fantasy escapism or whatever. But I feel like Nighthawk, especially this Nighthawk, is set up in a way that you can explore that issue within the trappings of a fantastic Marvel Universe setting um, and do some really successful work with it. So, based on what I've read here, I definitely plan on picking up the next issue. All right, very cool. David, tell me about Scooby Apocalypse. Well, last week we got pretty in-depth on a book called Future Quest, which was a whole bunch of Hanna-Barbera characters kind of coming together in a a crazy sort of way. Uh, But that was not the only Hanna-Barbera book that DC is putting out. In fact, uh, probably their... That didn't come out first, but I would 
kind of call it their like flagship main drive. I don't know, kind of, I would say tied with Future Quest is Scooby Apocalypse, which is uh, a concept by Jim Lee. It is a reimagining of Scooby-Doo and the Scooby Gang. Uh, and this issue shows us how the gang first comes together. But things are a bit different than, uh, than you might know them from the old times. Uh, sort of to give a quick overview without giving away too much. Uh, Velma is a scientist who works for a secret government agency. Uh, and in this agency, they are working on something, but one of their original plans uh, actually had to do with uh, making smart dogs, I believe they were called. Uh, and one of those dogs, one of the uh, lesser, uh, one of the failed, I guess, uh, experiments was Scooby-Doo. And they also hired a dog trainer, young uh, Norville Roberts, or Shaggy, as he is known to his friends. Um, was brought in to uh, to help work with those dogs. Uh, also, here's the new status quo for Daphne and Fred. Uh, Daphne is a reporter who has uh, a, a paranormal sort of sci-fi investigation show, and Fred is her cameraman, and uh, and they're not doing so hot in the ratings department. And what where this book starts off you have that they have been uh, brought to a Burning Man-esque event where their contact within some secret shadowy government agency is going to uncover what's going on in said secret shadowy government agency, and that is Velma. Uh, and it just so happens that at that same time, you have Shaggy had taken Scooby out for a little walk, you know, just like hanging out, and they kind of stumble upon, I mean, it's a little more deliberate, but they stumble upon uh, Fred and Daphne and Velma and get dragged into stuff and end up underground as something happens that triggers the monster apocalypse that this book has kind of been touting. So, it's, very, it's a very interesting concept. Uh, it's it's very different. Oh, and just to kind of uh, to address a couple things that you know people were very confused by: is Scooby gonna talk or not? Uh, he does talk in the very same way they did in the show. What is up with the thing on his face? They are called emoji goggles, and uh, it is only something that Shaggy can see. He has special like contact lenses that let him see the uh, emotions. So it's like if he has thoughts like about different kinds of food, they'll pop up. Like if he wants like a certain type of food, like images of that food will pop up. And Shaggy can see that kind of helps him understand him a little bit better without, I imagine, them having to write a whole bunch of Scooby-Doo dialogue. Uh, which totally makes sense. Uh, it Yeah, so it's, it's a very interesting take on this concept. Uh, it They do a good job of making things not feel forced these new roles for everybody uh they there is a few pages of just pure long-winded exposition which can be a bit on the nose and a little difficult to get through at time but it's a first issue it's they're they're redefining a classic concept i'm going to give them a little bit of breathing room on that 
Um, I'm not going to hold it against them. Uh, everybody, uh, you know, you know, everybody's got all, all the characters from a writing standpoint. They're they're coming from a very interesting place. They feel fairly real, actually, uh, especially Shaggy. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, hipster Shaggy. He's going to be like a veg- like vegetarian or vegan. Like, going to be riding his bike everywhere. I mean, he's just a guy. He's just a dude. Like, he gets disappointed when they're walking around and they can't find real pizza because he wants to have some real pizza with his buddy Scoob. Um, Daphne is a little more, uh, a little more like the tough badass chick. Uh, Fred is actually a little more timid than usual. It's I would say they've kind of switched roles a little bit. Uh, Velma is very still Velma Eve, a little you know sciency. Um, it, it's it's good good dynamics. Uh, is she a dwarf? She's she's not like said to be a dwarf. She is definitely short. Um, Just the way that she's drawn makes her look. Right, I'm no, not saying no. it's a bad thing, but she looks like a dwarf. I mean, she definitely is several inches shorter than everybody else in the book. Uh, but they don't like no one ever comments on her height or anything, so it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Maybe she's just a short girl. Uh, and then again, it's kind of hard to gauge anybody's height because Fred and Daphne are kind of the same height. Um, so either Fred's tall or, or, I mean, Daphne's tall or Fred's kind of short. I don't know. Uh, anywho, uh, the art in this book is great. It's Howard Porter art, uh, which typically Howard Porter, you're going to get some good quality stuff. Uh, does not, does not fail to deliver. Again, mm-hmm. um, especially in like the like, especially with like with Scooby Doo and uh, and at the end when you have like when it, you get a, a page showing a bunch of the monsters, I think that's where the art like really shines. Um, I'm gonna be very interested in seeing. Am I getting really quiet? No, you're fine. I think it might be my headphones are messing me up. Hold on. You sound loud and clear. Okay, that's a lot better. Um, so, as I was saying before, is that the Howard Porter art really shines in these moments with Scooby and on the last page where we see all these monster people. Uh, I like the book well enough on its own. It, it's uh, it's fine, but I would say that the, the art brings it up a notch. And it, it, in seeing this last page where you have like all, you know, you have like a like a fish person or like some sort of like wolf person, uh, like demony sort of creatures rolling around. Uh, it, that, that gets me more excited to see like where that aspect is going from a mm-hmm. visual standpoint. Uh, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool take. It's if for people who have reservations that they're changing things so, um, dramatically, I mean, it is, obviously a dramatic change i'm not going to discount that in at all uh but it's not a none of these are bad changes um none of this felt forced it all felt like in the world in which they set up they uh they're natural it's all fine uh and there's a nice little story at the end little little backup story where uh you kind of have shaggy's first day on the job uh meeting scooby and meeting all these other really mean dogs um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cute little story. I like it. 
uh, it's it's also done by this like the whole team. So the art is the same, the writing is the same, and all that. Uh, oh, and it, they're not very clear on this, but it seems like when things are going down, and maybe it's just the area that they're in, that they're the only people people left. And I think that's just going to be like the area that they're in, but I'll be curious to see how that develops. Um, but yeah, overall, it's a good book. I, I enjoyed it. And if you, uh, yeah, I think you people out there should as well. There we go. Alrighty then. Scooby. Alrighty, Roo. I think that's what Scooby Doo says. Rut row. He says retro quite a bit in this book, yes. Retro. All right. So the one that everyone is curious what we think about. This is the big one, people. DC Universe Rebirth Numero Uno. Well, one shot. It's a one shot. Oh, a Uno shot. I don't know. Um, this is DC's big Rebirtha. For those that don't, the big, the big Robertha. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, uh, DC Universe Rebirth is Jeff Johns. I almost kind of want to call it a swan song. Um, just yeah, he's, not, he's not going to be writing being, anything for sounds, a while. Sounds yeah. like he's not going to be writing things for a while. And basically, it's a sort of meta textual like a meta narrative uh in the in the way that dc i guess has kind of taken a, an actual like a hard real look at sort of like everything since the new 52 began and it was like maybe we maybe we made some mistakes so mm. in true dc fashion when they make a mistake they try to course correct it within the sort of mega narrative of the dc universe itself in a, a crisis-esque fashion um, which for some is very enticing and exciting, and for others is probably confusing as hell. That being so, said, the whole purpose of this book is to look at the state of the DC universe as it is now, consider the things that that made it special, that maybe it lost since the start of the New Fifty Two, and reincorporate those in a way that works for the story and pushes the books forward into a new era of DC rebirthy greatness. David, do you want to kind of lay down a couple of the story beats? Sure. So what, what this, Oh man, no, no, I will not talk. You don't want to beatbox do the story beats? No. So the, I wouldn't have said story beats if you weren't going to beatbox it. So the overall narrative that we're, that we're looking at here. Uh, is that Wally West from the pre-Flashpoint universe still exists somewhere. And he's trying to get back uh, into this new universe. And in order to do that, he needs to be remembered. Um, and so is this book is him going to several different people. And uh, he is trying to reach out to them to get them to remember him so he can stabilize. He's, you know, in the speed force essentially. So he can stabilize and continue to exist. Uh, and he goes to people like Batman uh, because Batman is a key player in things as it Batman will be uh, in, in all DC events. 
Uh, you have him going. I don't know who the old guy is. That's the one I didn't know. Um, do you have any idea? The, oh, the old guy. Um, that was Johnny Thunder, uh, who's okay. like powers of the genie. I believe in like the pre-Flashpoint, the latest um, was a guy, a kid. I think they go by Thunder. Uh, and the latest was a, a um, an African American kid named Jakeem Thunder, um, but I believe that the one that uh, Wally visits is Johnny Thunder. Okay, uh, and you have him also going to uh, to Linda Park, uh, and ultimately Barry, and also in in the in between moments, um, we kind of get some glimpses of some other stuff. Damian Wayne apparently turns thirteen. Uh, that happened in a panel. Uh, they kind of take some time to... He's, and he has a birthday cake all by himself in a yeah, dark room. that was weird. I didn't like that set of panels. Um, and also there's some stuff... Uh, oh, apparently uh, Black Aqualad is back? Yes, they that... do reintroduce him. It's almost like they're basically just throwing so, everyone. Well, so, so, yeah, and then here's... I mean, here's kind of things. like it, It's kind of skipping around to some other people... Um, also, like like they they set up the Blue Beetles book a little bit. They set up uh, Superman uh, coming back. Uh, you know, we have like the whole fact that Superman, the New Fifty Two Superman, apparently died today. Um, and what was the other big thing? Oh, there's three Jokers. That'll be an interesting thing to reconcile. Uh, but sort of also some some stuff that Wally is talking about as he goes is that not only were characters lost in this world, but some very important things, like some very important relationships and connections were lost. Uh, and that's kind of what you said, tying into the meta narrative. And we can, I guess, just kind of use this as a, as a launching off point here. Um, like the, the meta narrative of, um, okay, so people are upset that, you know, that uh, these, these classic relationships like, uh, Green Arrow, Green Arrow Black, Black Canary. Canary, that's like the big one. Um, they, you know, weren't together. Okay, that's something that we're, like, that's something that's still sort of canon and will be again. Uh, you have Aquaman and Mira, where that is DC saying, like, all right, you guys are upset that we're not allowing weddings and marriages anymore. Well, here we go. Here's a proposal. Um, and, yeah, they're, well, we, we can talk about the ending at, at the at the. And at, the end. Our, at the end of our discussion. Uh, and and that sort of seems to be kind of the quick run of, of, of what Rebirth is about is, yeah, we're going to reintroduce a bunch of stuff and not just people. We're going to reintroduce um, dynamics that you liked, you know, that like that we hear loud and clear that you people are upset or gone. They are now like going to be on the table again. Uh but Nick, overall, you know, what what are your what, is, what are some of your thoughts? I, I, I probably sounded when you know I was texting you today. I'm not super optimistic about the whole thing. I, I kind of said like, and I'm not trying to say this is all about what about the casual fans because I'm obviously not a casual fan. This is the kind of shit that I dig into. Uh-huh. You know, I like the overly complex meta narratives and mythologies and all of that, and. I, I have nothing against them reestablishing classic relationships like Green Arrow and Black Canary or incorporating the Justice Society back into like their World War II era selves and 
may presumably bring them back to be useful in the present day at some point down the road. Um, you know, like I don't, I don't have a problem against any of the changes that this thing is trying to reincorporate or, you know, some of the old narratives that this is trying to reincorporate. I just felt like it, it just, it's sort of like 80 pages of reminding us that this universe is needlessly complex. Like there, there, there's complex, you know, there's, 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 and there's convoluted. So this is, is needlessly convoluted. Again, once again, DC is using the story to justify the fact that they effed up, you know, yeah. for the last few years. Just like, just like the basically all of their, you know, I would say Crisis on Infinite Earths, the the thing that started it all at the time was probably a smart move because they were dealing with multiple universes and thought that bringing it under one cohesive thing mm-hmm. was the right idea. But then you got Zero Hour, and then there's Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis, all these things, all these big events where the universe is shattered and, and nothing will ever be the same. And, oh, that can be explained away with Superboy Prime punching the walls of reality. And it's just like, yeah, on, on one hand, like, it's cool from like a super nerdy perspective. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with super nerdy things, but from sort of like a medium and I feel like Marvel and DC because they're the two top publishers, the industry kind of looks at them to sort of be the gateway to bring in more readers. I feel like this only uh, heightened the, the barrier of entry for the DC universe. Like I, I think that some of the, a lot of the individual books coming out of this will probably be good. It's, it's basically um, uh, a marketing you know, statement in the form of a book. So at the end of the day, all I care about is the individual books. At the end of the day, as a consumer, which I don't, I hate calling myself a consumer, but as a consumer, I ultimately just care about the books that I want to read. So as long as they're good, like, what do I care? You know, but obviously also as I would like to think a member of the industry and someone who cares about the industry, I try to think of the larger context and the long game. And I mean, I'm not naive to the fact that Marvel and DC both reboot every two, three years if that anyway, just for the shits and giggles to, to quote unquote, stay relevant, if you will, and, and keep the plates turning and all that's well and good. But as far as this book, like Jeff, jo- I like Jeff Johns. I love his green lantern run. Like I, I, and there's a part of me that liked what I was reading, but I couldn't help. And then like, I thought, I think one thing that I can kind of use as an example is the, is the Wally West thing. So obviously there were people that were upset that Wally West was reintroduced as a young African-American teen. Um, and, you know, you, this, I'm not going to make this an argument about like race bending and all that crap. Well, but, but, but also like, I think to their credit, they're not being like, we're going to replace that Wally West. Like that Wally West still exists. And, and that's, and that's my point. Um, not, not that I, I care that he still exists. I don't, um, but it's sort of it's it's this whole thing where it's just like I'm not saying that it's it's not possible that like two kids within the same family like the two siblings would both name their kids the same exact name probably within a few I mean there's probably at best like a five year difference between you know young Wally and and slightly older Wally um, you know that like they both despite him obviously saying that it was that they that their uh parents were estranged 
mm-hmm. that they would name them their kids the same exact name. Uh, I've, I've heard it, of weirder things. Yeah, I mean, like it's one. Of, it, I've heard of weirder things, and I'll give Jeff Johns credit that that was a surprisingly clever way to approach that particular. I don't know what you want to call it, hiccup or hang up. You know that we get to have both Wally Wests, in a sense. But at the same time, I feel like, again, it sort of compounds the whole, like, needlessly convoluted aspect to this whole thing. I also thought that I get that, like, DC, like, and I actually read someone's post, and I agree with this. As much as I like Jeff Johns, for someone that's touting, like, bringing hope and optimism back into the DC universe, and I'm not saying that you can, that hope and optimism and then sort of, like, graphically dark, whatever stories, can't like work together but jeff johns introduced a lot of dark shit into the dc universe i mean i can think of multiple jeff Johns stories where characters were maimed on panel you know like really terrible things happened to them and like that's all well and good for drama but i'm just saying like you can't be touting around hope and optimism when your stories uh, when you've written some of the greatest biggest stories that have not reflected that you know and then, it, but it also feels overly earnest and kind of like, like you mentioned, the exposition dump in Scooby Apocalypse. And this, this whole issue is more or less an exposition dump by Wally West, giving a sort of meta narrative about the state of the DC universe, and also just doing things like love. Love is what's missing in the universe, and the fact that like the whole meta conflict is that the, and we'll bring it up later, the 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 main antagonist of this whole thing apparently stole 10 years from the characters and again i think it's clever that the reason he stole 10 years from the characters was so that they would be weaker and less on their game if a confrontation was to arise then at the same time that still seems like a needlessly convoluted plot for someone to under undertake just to like supposedly defeat these guys i mean given the character we're going to talk about like if you can steal 10 years from someone just wipe out the fucking universe excuse my language but like, eh. so, I mean, okay, yeah, you can get into so much of that with, shoot, so many movies and storylines. Like, it's it kind of gets difficult when he starts being like, well, if you could just do that, why didn't you just do this? You know, sort of situation. Like that's, and 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 I get, I get where that complaint comes from. Um, like the example that I always go back to is like personally, uh is like Iron Man 3. You have all these suits and you give out your number to, you give out your home address to like a terrorist uh, and you can have Jarvis control these suits and protect you. Like why not activate that immediately? Uh, the president gets taken. Why doesn't S.H.I.E.L.D. step in and do jack shit? Um, and, and I'm not saying like that can't be a fair argument, but it's hard when you start getting to the point of like, well, if you could just destroy everyone, why don't you destroy everyone? Because that's not interesting. That's not fun for us as readers. Um, well, to, no, I to, mean, I, I get that there's more than one way to skin a cat or whatever the phrase is. Um, it's a horrifying phrase. But, um, but, and I, and I, but I think it's like one thing where like you can set up a story in a way where obviously one way goes down, but given the context of the story, it makes sense. You know, obviously if you tweak this little thing, then this whole other direction could happen. And something like Iron Man 3 Maybe they didn't do a, a good enough job explaining why Shield didn't get involved. They didn't. Or why no, no, no. They didn't Iron do. They didn't, didn't do, activate the suits. They didn't do any job explaining why Shield wasn't involved. You know, and that, you know, and I'm sure that the creators could write off certain things. You could say, well, everything was happening so quickly, or at the biggest, why didn't we see that there was a Shield response? Like, 
And that's what I mean. Like the fact that we can ask these questions about feels like the narrative probably didn't do its job. And in this case, I'm saying that the DC universe narrative as a whole probably isn't doing its job if it has to resort to these kind of tactics. That's difficult to say. I mean, also because, you know, this is also supposed to be a first issue of a larger story uh, that, that's going to be supposed to be hinting, in, in, hinting at and giving us more. I'm going to sort of like counter now some things that you said. Um, cool, go just ahead. Where, uh, yeah, there definitely was an, uh, an, some exposition. And uh, I mean, not just some exposition. There was like a good amount of exposition. Um, and there were, I thought, parts of it that maybe did rely a little bit on you knowing the characters, but I did also feel like I don't know Wally West. Uh, but this book actually gave me a ton of information on Wally West that I felt I had enough information um, to get into that. I think that the bigger thing that you need to know to get into this book really is um, Flashpoint and the New 52, which they kind of explain. I thought just having a little bit more overall knowledge of that helped, but even like characters that I uh, didn't recognize, I thought they didn't expect me too much to like get everything immediately where it was like, like the Blue Beetle stuff. I don't really know a lot about Ted Kord or Jaime Reyes. I don't know a lot about Doctor Strange, or Doc, not Doctor Strange, Doctor uh, Fate. Dr. Fate. Uh, but I felt like okay if i'm interested in these characters well there's going to be a blue beetles book so okay this is like what i'm gonna check out i think that as far as like for the new readers this is sort of a catalog of storylines uh that are coming kind of tied together with this overarching story uh and like for us who are in on it, it's like okay so this is like the new status quo um i'm wouldn't say that it was perfect, but I think that uh, really of all the reviews and stuff that I've read, actually, you have had the, like, have you been the most negative on it, which is fine. That's fair. I'm sure there are other people out there that feel very much the same way to you, and that's absolutely valid. Um, but I think this maybe does do a little bit of a better job, at least for, at least from a general perspective than, um, than maybe, you know, you're sort of viewing it uh and, and it's yeah it, um i thought there were some good emotional beats like the wally west stuff he was a good character to carry this through uh i mean there's there is some really interesting stuff man like uh like like the ray palmer adam stuff like what's going on there the ray palmer no i so bring the, okay also the the dean like i'm not saying that deans are like perfect specimens or anything but like i thought that the the dean at like a prestigious university like ivy university came off as incredibly racist yeah she basically says uh why are you standing oh. there staring at me through those coke bottles muttering nonsense go and find your boss before i well, deport you back to okay. hong kong like she coke, seems more like coke the, the bottles aren't the the in Annie, the 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 lady that runs the, yeah, the, orphanage, the orphanage, then a dean. Uh, so I mean, dean. I wouldn't say coke bottles is a racial slur. Not coke uh, bottles, where she says she's going to deport uh, him back to Hong Kong. Uh, Dark side is a baby now. That, yes, that apparently that just plays into Justice League number fifty. They also apparently killed the rest of the crime syndicate in Justice League number fifty. I was a little sad about that. Yeah, I like. I that mean, one, man. they'll they'll always be back. Earth three will always cause trouble. Um, 
let's just like let's sort of now start digging into the ending. Uh, what it what it's hinted at is is the bigger uh, the bigger threat here. And for those who haven't read, uh, the ending is Batman uh, is digging through. Uh, as the spot, wait, well, I don't really know where he's digging, but he's digging through somewhere in his cave, and he's chiseling away, and he uncovers a pin, a smiley face pin with a blood mark on it. For those who don't know what that iconic symbol is from, it is from Watchmen. Nick, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, it means that the Watchmen characters are going to be incorporated into the DC Universe in some shape or form. Also glaringly missing from this are Wildstorm characters. Oh, yeah. Now, if this is still a continuation of the New 52 continuity, but with these new wrinkles added in, which I believe it is, that mean, must mean that the majority of the Wildstorm characters that have been introduced are still gallivanting around somewhere. Which part of me likes. I kind of would like to see them back in their own universe. But I also have enjoyed like Midnighter, for example. So that's not beside the point. Um, but yes, the the Watchmen characters, or at least some of the Watchmen characters, are going to take some role in this. And Jeff Johns has kind of come out and said that it's not that they are the villains. It's that they are antagonists. And it's sort of DC... And their message of hope versus Watchmen's sort of hope of, or Watchmen's message of sort of cynicism mm -hmm. and disbelief. Um, it's interesting. Like, I get that some people get like all bent out of shape with Watchmen, like it's the greatest comic ever, and Alan Moore, let's sit and pee at his throne or whatever. Like, pee at his throne? I don't know. Um, like, and don't get me wrong, like, there's plenty of Alan Moore works that I like, but he's just a guy. Like, I, I try not to put anyone on a pedestal. Um, um, and like you can call it creatively bankrupt. You can call it capitalism or whatever. I just, I personally, it does not ruin my day that they're being incorporated into the DC universe in some fashion. I'm also curious, obviously we see the Watchmen pin, which the comedian wears. Does that mean we're going to see the comedian? I feel like out of all the characters, I also I, the Mister Oz that visited, visited Superman. Also, I don't know if you read this, but when Jeff Johns wrote Superman briefly with the whole Ulysses arc, uh -huh. um, there was a person in a cloak, I believe, holding a scythe, um, that commented on like a shared history with the New Fifty Two Superman, um, and I believe that's the same person, Mister Oz, most likely Ozzy Mendez. Um, oh, huh. I mean, he doesn't. Who, he doesn't have the right complexion, but... Does Ozzy Mendez die in Watchmen? I forget. No, no. Um, Rorschach dies, I know. But... Rorschach dies, the comedian dies. That's pretty much it for the deaths. Um, to kind of like give the, the point on it is it all worked out in the end. In the end, nothing ends, Adrian. Nothing ever ends, which is Dr. Manhattan's last lines in the book. Um, before going off to Mars... Where he apparently fixed the watch. Uh, I don't. Ozzy Mendez, I don't, I don't know about that. Mr. Oz, Ozzy Mendez, the Watchmen Corporation. So we might see the comedian. We might see. Uh, we'll definitely be seeing Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, it, it feels like it's supposed to, based on those lines, that it would supposed to be taking place after the events of Watchmen. 
Uh, that but, would be my, my thought, or they're being in the same way that like Wildstorm is being, you know, were repurposed and integrated into the universe, so their histories are different. This could be an alt version of Watchmen, not necessarily like an actual continuation of the original Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, you know, if the, the smiley face somehow signifies the comedian and he's alive, then he, it's clearly not based in the same exact Watchmen universe. Um, and I, and I understand that as much as this is sort of an epilogue of the New 52, incorporating some old pre-New 52 um, narratives, characters, relationships, and then obviously sort of uh, being the prologue to the next era of DC stories and that at some point along the way, maybe a year from now or the next couple of years, the whole Watchmen angle will play out. I get that it's, it's teasing stuff to come. That's totally cool. Like I said, I don't care that Watchmen's involved. That's fine. Um, I obviously I have a lot of questions of like who, what, where, why, when. Right, but this and is so this just a matter of time until right. they get answered. Yeah. Whether or yeah. not they get answered in a satis- satisfying manner remains to be seen. Right now, this book isn't. Yeah, this book is not meant to. Uh, here's the entire storyline of our universe, and here's the answer to it. It is supposed to be like if you want to know. And and this is where I, I felt like it did kind of do a good job of like, do you want to know what the current status quo is? Here is the current status quo. Like I felt a lot more caught up on characters I don't really know that well, like Aquaman. I don't know what's going on with Aquaman. Now I know what's going on with Aquaman um, after reading this. And for me, as someone who already does read comics, um, that is kind of nice to be like, okay, now if I want to go read Aquaman, I kind of know where that's at. If I want to go read Wonder Woman, I kind of know where that's at. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, you don't, I don't, I'm not saying you don't think that Rebirth wasn't good. You probably thought it was fine. You don't know if you felt like it did the job that it was set out to do. I think it did the job it set out to do. And I think that in a larger context and considering the long game, it's, I, I just, I guess I'm not convinced that it's a, a, a positive step in the right direction. Now, Nick, uh, why, why is this your new Days of Future Past? It's, <laughs> first off, Days of Future Past is legitimately a bad film. It's not legitimately a bad film. It is a terrible film. Thank you very much. And this, this I'm not. I don't think there's there's a comparison to that because Days of Future Past is like wiping shit off the bottom of your shoe. Um, that was unnecessarily harsh. In the yeah. same way, this is unnecessarily convoluted. Um, <sighs> Days of Future Past. <laughs> it's. I, I guess I. I didn't want to go into it skeptic. I went into it optimistic, even. You know, because I, I, you know, I, I know that it's not even like I'm a Marvel zombie or anything like that. I get that I probably have more of Infinity tomorrow, but I've always respected that they're two distinct, different universes. So for me, it's not like I didn't enjoy certain aspects of this or consider like where they're going. This isn't even really like the first chapter. This really is like a teaser sampler of like the next couple of years worth of DC books. Like to me, that that doesn't, you know, that's nicely what makes it special. Um, I, I guess it really is wait and see. So um, I'd like to say I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, like I said, I think individual titles are going to be book. I'm excited for some of them, like Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason on Superman. Just say you hated it, man. It's fine. I it's don't okay. want to say I hate it because things aren't that black and white. Uh, look, man. Okay, whatever. 
you're sitting here, you're tiptoeing around. I will say that the the whole Wally and Barry reconnecting thing was heartfelt. That that felt like a very genuine moment, which I thought was great. Like when he kind of like his eyes open and he grabs Wally before he disintegrates uh-huh. and pulls him back. Like, you know, that's really cool. I, I guess my hang-up might be, apparently I have a lot of hang-ups, is that it feels like like this DC's doing it again. And and you can make the same argument for Marvel. Marvel's doing it again. But whereas like Secret Wars is probably the first time that Marvel's really had an event, like a ma- major event, that was kind of all about sort of correcting. And really, Secret Wars wasn't even really about correcting much of anything. It All it really did was incorporate Miles Morales into the Marvel Universe and did a little bit of realigning, but more or less the rest of Marvel's history remained unchanged. Like, its purpose wasn't to combine... I mean, besides Miles Morales, of course, uh, it wasn't really to combine worlds. It just kind of, like, did that one thing, and then it was like, oh, yeah, this kind of event happened eight months ago. With with DC, every time they do one of these zero hours crisis events and all that, like it's always about again the meta narrative of sort of explaining away why there were inconsistencies before, and then trying to trying to quote unquote streamline their universe and make it more accessible. And I want to say every time they probably fail, and it only makes it more complex. But at the end of the day, that's how DC wants to roll. I obviously wish them well. Uh, and again, excited for some of the books that come out of this. Follow-up. So it's really just a wait and see. Follow-up question to my uh, Days of Future Past question. Uh, how much is Marvel paying you? <laughs> Not enough. Well, okay, so you heard it here, people. Nick is indeed getting paid by Marvel. Uh, I'm not saying one way or the other You know, if this book... I mean, I do think that it, it did the job that it set out to do. I'm not saying that's a perfect book, uh, but I don't know. I, I don't think it's it's as as sloppy as as maybe you did. I mean, you know, we're just gonna have to agree to disagree on that. Well, sloppy is the wrong word. It's not that I think it's sloppy. I think that it, again, it achieved what it wanted to achieve. And I think Jeff Johns <laughs> the way you just that, said that. But I guess I don't agree with its mission statement. Jeez, you are so impassioned. <laughs> like there's just like anger not anger i just you know i don't want to be complacent about it i want to have like a bigger philosophical discussion about its place in both the industry its long-term effects is was it really worth it you know yeah like they didn't have like for example i get like like the green arrow black canary thing it's cool that they had like a fan favorite relationship and all that but instead of being like someone stole it from like the universal narrative and now with like they have a spark they can't explain like it makes like two people that have the hots for each other now have like this universal significance and i guess like i, I just I, don't think that the earth needs to be the center of the multiverse all the time well of course it's going to be you <laughs> come on why wouldn't it be that's where we're from no i, I mean and I'll, I'll admit when they revealed it like the way that like the you know the sun's the center of the solar system, that Earth is the center of the multiverse. I think that's a really cool idea. And some things that applies to that's totally cool. But again, using the Green Arrow and Black Canary relationship as an example, like instead of like in this book being like their relationship was stolen from them by Dr. Manhattan trying to throw us off our game and make us weaker, just if you didn't like the fact that they apparently weren't in a relationship or didn't know each other in the New 52, just have the next arc be, hey, Green Arrow and Black Canary meet. Yeah, 
I get I get what you're saying where it feels like the significance is placed upon it. I kind of read into it as um and let me just like let me just kind of look over the wording here specifically because I kind of read into it more as sort of representative of of all of those relationships that have been lost. Um not necessarily just these two. Um no, obviously they're saying that other relationships were lost. You could say that Superman and Lois's relationship were lost. Of course, there's clearly some bigger mystery going on with the New 52 Superman and the, the pre-Flashpoint Superman that I'm assuming they're going to... So the idea is that this New 52 universe is the, the, the post-crisis universe, but with 10 years missing. And then because of that, things also happen. But it's like they didn't just steal 10 years. Like, everything from, like... The, the first year forward changed because events prior to that also changed like characters, whole origins and things changed. So they, a lot more than 10 years was stolen because of everything up, you know, if, yeah. the, 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 if all the history within that 10 year period is gone, like that's one thing, but you're talking about five, 10, 20, 15, a hundred years of history that is completely different than what it was before. You know what I mean? And, and, it kind of negates things that came out of Convergence, which Convergence was a cluster poop anyway. Um, see, I, the, see, I didn't read Convergence. So. No, I, 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 I read like the last issue I think I had mentioned on the show. And that was the whole idea that, in a very ham-fisted way, the pre-Flashpoint Superman, um, the Crisis on Infinite Earth, Barry Allen, the pre-Crisis Supergirl... And Parallax, I might be missing a character. Oh, like Lois was there. Um, went back in and time to, to the time that, that the Anti-Monitor was like attacking and the whole crisis was happening and stopped it from happening. Like stopped like the, the multiverse from being destroyed. So now like every world is possible. And, but that also mean, meant that like the pre-Flashpoint Earth was its own distinct Earth separate from the new 52 Earth. You know, and there was the whole narrative that, like, Superman and Lois from the pre-Flashpoint world, like, have come to, like, an actual alternate Earth, whereas I believe Rebirth is trying to say that they could be the future, from the future of the New 52 Earth, but then obviously the, the whole history changed. Like, it's just, again, needlessly convoluted. I mean, you know my love for convoluted storylines, bro. I get and I like convoluted too, and it's sort of like if it was just about me, I'd right. probably be totally cool with it. No, yeah, and, and I get what you're saying. Like you're trying to view this from from a bigger perspective, and that's good. They, they, you know, they have someone out there looking out there for the little guy. But this again, reactions to this book are going to be so individually varied. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think it's it's going to be possible for us to be like ah, new readers are completely not going to get this. Because maybe there's new readers out there who are completely going to get this. Um, it's like it is. It is. It's difficult. It's you know. It's subjective. It's not objective. Uh, people's reactions to this book. It's it, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is, man. And uh, if it, I mean, ultimately, numbers will tell. We'll see. Uh, I mean, they they you know, comic stores were doing midnight launches for this book. You know whether or not DC's big events pay off, or or you know, if or from a narrative standpoint, when they happen, like despite whatever people say or think, like people get excited, 
and you know there's big launch parties and uh and you know we'll we'll see what the shakedown is uh over the next few months as books start to roll out i for one uh welcome our new insect overlords uh no sorry wrong reference um but i i'm interested to see what happens and and ultimately you know like you said this is all going to come down to the individual books which i feel like that is ultimately where they where DC feels the strength will lie as well, and we'll you know we'll we'll be back here in the, over the next couple of months discussing those books as they roll out. I will say that at the back of the book, the double page spread that Ivan Reese drew of all like the the sort of the D, DC universe re, the rebirth era characters was mm-hmm. pretty spectacular. Yeah, that was really great. I was a big fan of that. And the hourglass, uh, the alternate cover that had the characters breaking out of the hourglass. I think it was I also pretty cool. Missed that one. I think some of the characters were pulled from actually from that. I think like Damien may have actually been copied over, but I might be wrong. I'm looking at. Uh, no, he's fine. Um, anyway, any final words on rebirth? No, I think we've kind of both gone back and forth and set our point as much as we can. I'm. I'm good with it. Good? You good? Yeah. All right. Let's move on to... Other things that happened this week. Like? Well, uh, the big one that I both I know that you and I both uh, have partaken in is that the Outcast pilot has arrived on the internet early for free. Which is pretty cool. I, I wonder how things like that end up affecting actual like premiere ratings. I don't know for a show like Outcast how much that matters as far I, I think it's on Cinemax. How much Cinemax cares. Like you know, if like by releasing it free that people like like what they see and that it's not so much as important that the first episode gets high ratings, because I don't even know if they mark things by ratings on a premium channel or if they hope that a um, a causality of people watching it for free on like YouTube or whatever means that they'll go and sign up for a Cinemax subscription, thus making them more money. I think their yeah their desire and so it's available for free on HBO Go for those who um, HBO Go yeah, H, yeah Cinemax is an HBO company oh uh, but it's also on YouTube which is how I watched it uh, it's good quality over there on YouTube um but. Uh, I think their their desire more so is that okay you're going to watch this first episode and um, and then you're going to get Cinemax because you want to see the rest of the series and I think the same kind of goes for AMC releasing the Preacher pilot for free which I haven't finished yet uh, maybe we can talk about that next week after the second episode comes out and you know kind of get our bearings on that. Um, but you, you know, just give me a quick, uh, you know, give me your quick thoughts on the Cinemax or on the, uh, outcast pilot. Um, it really was more or less a fairly facial adaptation of like the first issue or so. Um, I mean, I felt like the majority of the actors all kind of embodied the characters that they were intended to play. It was, it was so faithful in the way that like, there really weren't any surprises. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't think that's going to stay the same. I feel like they're going well, no, to diverge significantly. 
I mean, I'm assuming significantly just, I mean, there's only like 15 or so 15 or 18 issues of the book out currently. Um, so this is something where I, I, I mean, compared to say something like game of Thrones and, and those books, obviously they can release a lot more issues between seasons. Um, and they can certainly pad story and all that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to say like what I want from the series. I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm enjoying the comic book series, you know, more or less. So it's sort of like, I definitely like what I saw. So I'm going to keep, I'm hopefully, I'm going to say, I'm hopefully going to keep watching it. Um, but I don't, it's, I guess I don't really have like a lot of strong feelings about it. Like it was not bad. It was, mm-hmm. I would even say it was good. It was haunting. It was slow a little bit, but I mean, like I thought the acting was good enough that it, you know, it, it kept me engaged. Um, but beyond that, like, you know, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I like what happened after like this particular segment of the story in the comics. So I guess I'll like what comes after in the show. Yeah. So I watched uh, this episode with, with my friend who's really big into horror stuff. Uh, because after you kind of telling me like, yeah, it pretty much hits all the comic beats. It's like, well, okay. So I know what I'm going to expect to get out of it. I want to see what someone who has no real expectations to get out of it. Um, and he seemed to really enjoy it. He said, he said, after we finished the pilot, he's like, yeah, I don't know what, how I'm going to get the rest of the episodes. Uh, so it seemed like it was up his alley that they, uh, I mean, you know, you're starting from, you know, part one or, or you know, the, the very beginning of a story. So it, it's obviously compelling enough uh, on a on a different visual medium that people are drawn in. Uh, I thought that Patrick uh, Fugit, right? That's the guy's name? Patrick Fugit, I Fugit, think, yeah. yeah. Was a great Kyle Barnes, kind of dead on in that respect. Uh, I th- uh, some of the other characters weren't as I expected them. The the preacher was maybe a little more rough around the edges than I expected him to be, with like his congregation. Um, but I, I thought he was he's a good actor. He did fine. Uh, Megan was so visually different that I was kind of taken aback at first, but I thought the actress did a good job. Uh, yeah, overall, it's it's good. It's it's hard for us to be uh, to be. Impartial, yeah, impartial because we know we you know we knew all the beats as this was happening, uh, but you know I take it from from my friend who in, enjoyed it and who had no idea on the stuff. You know he seemed to like it, so it seemed like it's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I I think I think people will will like it. I mean I don't know I I feel like besides The Walking Dead I don't know I feel like it's a not an outlier but an exception right now. I don't know if there's a big like supernatural horror craze right now, but Outcast could start that. I think Cinemax is also one of those channels that kind of like it's not HBO or Showtime. Like it's, it feels like it's, I fringe is the wrong word, but it's like on, it's off center from like the main premium channels. So I don't know how big of an audi- audience like Cinemax has or it will garner, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I, I feel like they're trying to use. They had another show with Clive Owen, but I think they're trying to use this show to draw some people in. Uh, and hopefully that works for them. You know, they're, they're definitely, uh, building up like the whole Kirkman walking dead connection. Um, and I think, you know, walking dead's been on quite a while now. This is a good time for a story like this to kind of come on and be like, well, if you like that, uh, this, 
episode also has the main character beating up a 10 year old kid, uh, which was fantastic. So, you know, take that for what it is. Uh, I have not finished the preacher premiere yet, but why don't you, Nick, just kind of give your, your quick thoughts. Now this is something from, from what I've seen is fairly different from the comic. It's, it is, and it isn't. Um, the first episode was panning's not the right word. Like it had a lot of you know plates in the air, established the characters. There was a, a lot of interesting scenes. I think everyone acted well enough um, to kind of prepare for this discussion. Which obviously, now I know you haven't finished it. I actually read like the first six issues of Preacher again, um, just to kind of like get the comparison feeling and. Compared to the comic book, I mean, things move a lot faster in the comic book. I think, yeah. I mean, like, they basically, by at the beginning of the first issue, they've already jumped ahead to, like, basically after um, uh, Jesse, Tulip, and Cassidy skip town um, and then kind of backtrack and, and, you know, show, like, what happens. I, I'm already kind of blanking on at the end because he, oh, Crap! Now I'm forgetting. I think he gets it at the at the very end of the the, the pilot. Um, so I guess it remains to be seen how that that's going to shake out. So things are happening differently. There's these two guys you've probably already seen the ones that kept walking into the the sites where other people were possessed by Genesis but exploded. Um, they might be in the book, but I, I it's been a long time since I read. I read like half of Preacher before stopping. Think there was anyone like that? It has been a few years since I've read it as well. So some characters I, I don't know, like you know, are they going to introduce the the Saint of Killers? Um, are they you gonna know introduce Jesus's weird descendant? That one. I mean, Art Face was obviously, and in Art Face was probably more or less like his dad. Obviously, wasn't as like a gun ho like redneck cop type like he is in the book. I mean like he is and he isn't. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so how ha- you know, I, I imagine and I and I don't know if I ever got far enough in the series to understand like Ars Face's complete arc, like how much revenge he actually gets and all that. Um yeah, so I, I mean barely his, remember him. his dad might not make it. His his dad doesn't live very long in the comics. He he dies within the first six issues. Mm-hmm. Um so it's sort of like it's faithful in the sense that like obviously he gets the power of Genesis. So I guess the big question is like, whereas the book is in your face as far as like it, sh- it brings you like you go to heaven, like you see depictions of angels, the seraphs and the Adelphi, you see demons um, like it, it doesn't shy away from, from revealing these things. I feel like the show is going to go like a, if it does reveal them, it's going to be a slower burn, uh, let you get more, into the world like the 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 grounded like the actual characters first Mm -hmm. and then maybe peel away and kind of show some of the more ridiculous elements so to speak Mm -hmm. um so that really is going to be a wait and see but so as far as what they are trying to accomplish despite being a little slow in parts like i think i saw enough that i'd be intrigued to keep watching okay yeah i heard i heard ratings were just decent they weren't uh maybe the big numbers they were expecting I heard that, but apparently it also went up against an episode of Game of Thrones, and there may have been like some kind of sports game on or yeah, something. There, like there, there was, was stuff in its way that I don't think people were going to make room for Preacher for. Yeah, putting up against Game of Thrones is just cruel. Yeah, that that I think is like will hurt the series. It should be like an hour before or an hour after, but not, you know, 
so yeah. it'd be at the same time. Game of Thrones, like, it's it's weird. Like, obviously something has to go at that point, but you no, almost all want other channels like a, should be blank. Just infomercials. Just yeah, when when it's a major show that like obviously is the top and it's like its ratings and its viewership, like you don't want to put a show that you want to be successful in that in that same that same time slot. Like on one hand, you want to draw people away, but a show that's I, I would use the phrase like entrenched shows. You know, you're. You're you're losing viewerships more than you're gaining them. Mm-hmm. So, but Absolutely. I mean, I liked it. I definitely, you know, I think now that like Arrow and the Flash have winded down, um, I'm almost caught up on Jessica Jones. I mean, there's plenty of other shows I clearly need to to catch up on. So this summer, I think it's you know, I Preacher and and even Outcast. I think I have to see if I have a Cinemax subscription. I don't know if I do. Um, um, you know, I definitely fill that slot for like my summer watching. Um, so I guess it'll be kind of a dark and gritty and supernaturally horror summer, but whatever. That's yeah, the um, perfect the perfect feel for summertime. Yeah, you know, dark and brooding. That's all I got. All right. Well, in the uh, interest of time, let us go ahead and uh, skip right to Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Uh, bringing us what little bit of news we were able to to grab this week. Uh, we know there's other big books that we talked about. We haven't talked about the uh, Steve Rogers stuff, but in the interest of time, I think it's best if we just kind of move on for right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, hey, we talked about Rebirth. We talked about Jeff Johns. Well, Jeff Johns uh, wants you to know that if you don't like DCU Rebirth, he will send you a check. For three dollars. Well, hold on. Uh, it's nine nine for eighty pages. It's not a lot. John stole comicbook.com. If anyone wants to check out comics, wants to check out DC Universe Rebirth, and doesn't like it, they can mail the book to Warner Brothers to me, and I will send them a check for both postage and for the book. I will buy these books back. Blah blah blah. So nobody's losing money here. I mean, the, the DC Warner Brothers isn't losing money. Uh, but you could get your postage and uh, the the two ninety nine back uh so nick are you going to be returning your issue of rebirth no i'm not going to do that to jeff johns i'm sure he makes a pretty decent money with his current position at dc and warner brothers but i'm not going to hurt the guy um uh yeah so i mean that's kind of cool i'd be curious if he uh kind of comes out in a week or two and explains like and reveals like how many people actually sent it back to him Mm -hmm. i feel like a comparative small number will but you know someone will yeah, some people just to be trolls and jackasses. Yeah. And some but, people who maybe actually didn't like it. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think the big news coming out of this week is probably Comixology Unlimited. Oh, yeah. I skipped over that story first. My bad. But that seemed... Uh, I mean, it's cool that Ron Perlman wants to <coughs> cable. I don't know. Like, on one hand, like, he could make a great cable, and I do like Ron Perlman. On the other hand, like, I don't know if I would want him as cable. Remains to be seen. I don't know who I would want as cable, to be honest. Right. It's, yeah, not that, yeah. I like Perlman as a dude, but I don't know if he's too old for the role at this point. Ooh, that's I mean, Cable's old. I mean, I was, one of Cable's defining traits is that he's old, so, like, you kind of want an old guy. And it'd be cool to have, like, an older guy in a role, like a major role like that. Yeah. But, Ron Perlman's almost 70. Yeah, he's pushing it. Um, yeah. Just for how physically demanding the role might be. True. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about Comixology Unlimited. Nick, what is that? So Comixology Unlimited is basically the described as the Netflix for comics. Um, 
that's an app description, but also a bit misleading in the sense that if Netflix is going to provide you something, it'll provide you with the whole movie or they'll provide you with generally as many seasons of a TV show as are currently available, depending on the license agreement. Obviously, this also comes down to license agreement, um, but it's designed more of like a comic sampler. Now, given the fact that I think it's only five ninety nine, five ninety nine a month, five ninety nine a month, and you can start with a thirty day free trial. Um, depending on the book and the publisher, you can get like the first, um, you know, volume. Like usually one to like what I've seen so far is you can get like the first one to three volumes of certain series. Um, the current participants are a lot of the indie publishers, probably all, basically all the major ones, Image, Valiant, Dark Horse, IDW, uh, I, I think Ani Press is one, um, and a couple others. And so again, it's Netflix in a sense, but it's it, it really, I think, is designed more like to use those first the, the first volume or two of a book to get you entrenched in that world. And that's going to hopefully possess you to want to buy the third volume or end up buying the first couple of volumes after that you've read them uh, and hopefully draw sales towards the longevity of the series, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a great idea. Um, you know, so basically, if you're going into it thinking you're getting an all you, a la carte, you know, like every image book that's ever been published is now available for, for you know, every issue of a series is now available, you're going to be disappointed. But if you go into it thinking, well... You know, there's a lot of image books that I wanted to check out that I never gave a chance. You know, for five ninety nine, as long as I read two single issues, you know, out of this whole thing, I've made my money back. So, uh, in that sense, it's definitely worth it for the consumer. That being said, there definitely was some cre- some creator backlash in the sense that, you know, despite the fact that everything was above board with the publishers that are participating in this, not every publisher necessarily did a good job of reaching out to the, um, the creators of said properties. And if this was something like Marvel and DC, that might be all well and good. Right, because they um, own the characters and the work. and blah, You know, blah, like blah. they own it, like they own everything. So, like, it doesn't really matter what the... I would say it doesn't matter what the creators think, but they're probably... I, I don't know if there's, like, a, some sort of royalty. I think there is some measure of royalty for, like, even Marvel and DC and the books you work on. Mm-hmm. Like, the title, but obviously you don't have any stake on the character, yada, yada. Right, right. Um, and obviously Marvel and DC have a lot more leeway. Um, another company like Valiant, it probably doesn't matter because Valiant owns all the characters that, that uh, creators are working on. Um, but companies like Image and uh, maybe to a, a, a lesser extent Dark Horse are all sort of like based on creator-owned books. So that's kind of, I think, where you need to have more of a discussion with your creators. It almost sounds like maybe Image Comics was the big failure here, though I didn't read too much about like IDW or anything. But some characters were feeling slighted that they weren't communicated to before this, that they should have had some say, whether or not they, their, bo- their book could opt in for this. Uh, and then, of course, and I know this is a big discussion with, you know, other streaming services like this, like with music for, like, Spotify and stuff. There's a big thing about, like, that creators don't get uh, fair compensation for their work being like this. I mean, when mm-hmm. you're paying five ninety nine. Right. If you have like a hundred thousand people paying five ninety nine, you're still divvying up chump change basically to all parties involved. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When this was announced, I, I definitely got very excited at first. I thought this is super cool. Uh, I, I didn't expect it to be, you know, every volume of The Walking Dead, 
but I thought, hey, we could get like the first 10 volumes. That'd be super awesome, you know, or like up to the most recent volume or, the, you know, or the most recent couple. Uh, when I found out that it was pretty much just volumes one and two, and unless things shake up in the future and stuff looks a little bit different, I don't see, you know, m me willing to jump on this for longer than a month, uh, longer than the free, not, not that I can read everything on there, but it just doesn't feel as much worth it to me. And, and like you said, the, the, uh, the payments and then the creators and all that, um, it does sound like there is some shafting going on, uh, and not in, in the way that anybody would want it to be. The shafting. Uh, the shafting. Um, is that the name of the episode? No, it's, it's, uh, it's dec It's a uh, big rebirth. Huh? Come on, man. Okay. Come on, big rebirth. Huh? Um, the shafting. The shafting. Um, so what I'm saying, all right. So the creators are not, yeah, getting like fairly compensated that and when you come to indie books and as we kind of talked in the past, it's kind of the payments aren't great already. Uh, and to spread that out thinner is not super awesome. Um, if this is successful, cool. Hopefully it can be and it, it can uh, do some stuff. Hopefully it'll be easier to navigate than Marvel Unlimited and everybody over there can uh, take a lesson and uh, and get that going. But check it out for yourself. I would say to, to the general audience, um, if it seems like this is up your alley, cool. But I I personally am a little disappointed by it. Uh, before yeah. before we kind of wrap things up, uh, you did not provide any links here for uh, give Captain America a boyfriend. Hashtag, what's that? Uh, so I honestly didn't follow up that closely, and then I didn't do any research ahead of time. But I guess over the weekend or something like that, it's been trending the idea that people want to see Captain America and Bucky uh, actually like express their love for each other, uh, either on screen or in some fashion. And I think, well, there probably are people that would generally enjoy seeing that. Um, uh, it kind of tickles my fancy a bit. Um, huh, I think it's, it sort of exploded into a bigger discussion of the fact that if um, one th one person pointed out that if you look at D uh, Disney's um, like movie output in the last year, there was no depictions of LGBT characters in any of their films. Nope. Um, so, like some like in some of their TV shows and in some comic book TV shows, there's you know LGBT characters, but the and but the idea that there were no characters even supporting roles uh, in any of the superhero films and any of like the DC properties, um, I think it sort of has become sort of this rallying call for those people that are saying like, you know, we want our representation. And of course, I think it also got compounded by the fact there are probably a lot of people that are principally against the idea of Captain America having a boyfriend or big dang Bucky or being gay in any way probably you know also using the hashtag to fight against it like i said i didn't really follow it uh i don't have a, a big personal stake in it i think if it leads to more lgbt representation in general in the the major marvel movies like i personally want to see like a midnighter movie uh i think that would be awesome or just mm -hmm. to see even lgbt supporting characters in any of the major movies would be would be super cool to see that's basically the only point of view i have on it cool Cool, 
Cool, cool. Well, I think uh, with that, we can ask ourselves a very important question here. You boys aren't nerds, are you? And uh, we can get down to some recommendations. And what are you recommending, David? Uh, There was something I was totally going to recommend last week uh, before I recommended Doctor Strange. Um, But I forgot to write that down, unfortunately. Uh, So I'm going to recommend, actually, uh, that people check out the pilot of Outcast since it is freely available. Uh, since it'll be on a premium network in the future, do not miss the opportunity. It, despite us saying, "Oh yeah, we kind of saw where things were going because we've read the books." If you have not, this is a great opportunity for you to check out this series. Uh, I thought it was a good episode, and it does seem to be generally well enjoyed. So head on over to YouTube and find the Outcasts uh, episode one. Have yourself a good old time. Nick, what about you? I did not use that time to actually think of a recommendation. Uh, what have I read? So, I mean, besides reading like the last six issues of the first six issues, I should say of Preacher. Um, I mean, I would say if you if you end up watching the pilot and you like it and you want sort of a more in your face interpretation of that, check out the original Preacher series. Um, you might be able to relate, David. I would say that if you're uh, spiritually inclined, you might not appreciate some of its commentary, so to speak. Uh, yeah, um, it is. I mean, it's a comic book. It's it is what it is. You know, um, I would say that it makes a lot of interesting points, whether or not you have to agree with them. Uh, obviously, in some places, it can be cruel. I would say that Garth Ennis is not the kind of guy that holds his punches. <laughs> um to say the least of a Garth in his book in general. Um, you know, but it's, I would say as far as the two creators involved, Garth Ennis and, and, and Steve Dillon, you know, not two creators that personally I follow a lot. Um, I think it's a sort of, it's, it's an interesting story, no matter what it's about. Um, and you know, I'm just saying if you end up liking the, the show and want to check something out about it, uh, read preacher. All right, yeah. I don't think uh, we've we've recommended Preacher before, so cool, cool. I don't know if we've recommended any Garth in this before. I don't think uh, you and I particularly read a lot of Garth in this. I mean, I've always true. been curious about checking out like his Punisher and the boys and stuff. Yeah, but I just like I have not gotten around to it. Yeah. Well, Nick, do you have any final thoughts uh, before we start to wrap things up? Hail Hydra! Wow. Okay. Uh, as always, folks, uh, you can head on over to heckyeahcomics.com to find out more about the show and about us here. Uh, you can he- you can go ahead and send us an email about anything in the world. Um, try to keep it comic-related to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can follow me on Twitter at davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can uh, find Nick... Uh, Nick, what do you, you're, uh, you're Hale and Hydra. You can find Nick Hale and Hydra over there. I don't know. That's all I got for you this week, folks. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends. And if you hated it, then please tell your enemies. Until next time, goodbye.
ever.